What is Montrospective? It's what we say to ourselves and our attitude towards it. We repeat mantras over and over again to ourselves. If we're doing it right, they're positive, not negative. What we say affects our attitude and our point of view. We all have dreams and goals, but how many of us know where to start to make them happen? I am fascinated by everyday people who are doing extraordinary things, and I wanted to find out why and how they were able to be successful. I spent 16 years in radio, not as a DJ, but as a promotions director. I never had an interest in being front and center or putting myself out there as a personality. Fast forward to today, I have something to say and messages from incredible people to share. Simply put, I am interested. I want to know what propels everyday people to follow their dreams in the hopes that it will inspire you to do the same. We have one life to live. Let's listen, learn, and share our journey with the world. This is Montrospective. Montrospective would like to thank our sponsor. If you're looking for a one-stop shop that offers yoga, meditation, Reiki, readings, and various other classes along with being a metaphysical store, check out Mantra in Blue Springs, Missouri off 7 Highway. Also online at MantraKC.com. My next guest has a list of achievements a mile long. Here's just a few. He's a three-time undefeated champion of TLC's Ultimate Cake Off. He won Cake Wars twice on the Food Network. He has appeared on Halloween Wars and most recently Santa's Baking Blizzard on the Food Network. He has his own company called Black Sheep Custom Cakes. He travels all over the world making handcrafted cakes for celebrities. And he holds a world record for creating the world's fastest edible vehicle. More than a cake, he constructs unbelievable sculptures and his designs are a new level of unique. He's just a regular guy with an amazing ability. Mike Elder, welcome to Montrospective. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. That's a, that's a kind of a funky list of stuff, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is quite a hodgepodge of things, but that that is just a few. You've done a lot in your lifetime. We had I didn't even touch on, you know, the the BMX, the racing. Um, you're a mechanic. You're kind of a jack of all trades. I think I have maybe a really short attention span. I don't know what the deal is. I think that's I a sign of a true genius. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll take that. Well, I'm going to dive right in. Um, okay. There's a lot I know about you and a lot I don't know about you. So I'm kind of curious about little Mike. What were you like as a kid growing up and what were your dreams and ambitions then? Hmm, man, I, I tell you, as a kid, I mean, I, we grew up in a different kind of time, I think, you know, I mean, I, I woke up in the morning in the summertime, put on a pair of shorts, and I left the house. I mean, and that was probably literally all I had on, you know, shoes were, were secondary, shirts oftentimes secondary, but, you know, I grew up Kansas City, and, um, you know, BMX and bikes and, and mechanical things were always a really big part of my life. You know, I was kind of lucky where I grew up because we had a big horse pasture at the end of our street that was like a hundred and some odd acres and that went on and on and on if you kept going. So it was kind of almost like living in the country, but I still was in the city and had all the really cool city stuff. That's awesome. So while you were out playing and I'm sure getting into a little bit of trouble, did you have any ambition as a child to do these extravagant cakes that you do? Or is that something that happened much, much later in life? Well, oddly enough, my, my dad had a Corvette shop in the backyard, 
and uh, literally behind our house. And uh, he restored the old solid axle 53 to like 62 Corvettes. And uh, my mom had a bakery in the basement and, uh, you know, she did her cake thing. And I always swore as a kid I would never do either one of those two things. <laughs> and I profusely refused to do those two things. And my parents did involve me in it. I mean, my dad paid me to work and, and I helped mom whenever. But here I am now, you know. <laughs> I uh, always wanted to be a pilot as a kid. And I am a pilot. Didn't like the idea of dropping bombs on people too much. But uh, once I got older and realized that's what military pilots do. But, um, you know, yeah, it's uh, not something I was looking to do, for sure. Well, it sounds like you literally have worn every type of hat in your lifetime. Is there something that you haven't done that you still want to do? Uh, have free time? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it is kind of funny, and, and it doesn't seem real sometimes. Um, you know, I mean, I've been worked in construction, roofing, and I was an EMT for a while. I, I was a race car driver, a pilot. Uh, um, you know, I used to scuba dive for, you know, we did rescue scuba diving and, and this kind of stuff. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I like things that are fun. I like things that I can feel are accomplished. You know, cake is not something I ever expected to be doing. But it turns out I'm, I'm okay at it. And the stuff that I do, people tend to like. And, and it's brought me places I can't believe I've, I've gone because of. Oh, we're going to get into that. I've got tons of questions about that, all the behind the scenes stuff. But let's start with, you know, you've said that you weren't interested in any of that stuff, either one, the mechanic side of things or so you're doing both and then some. So at what mm -hmm. point did you look at your mom and say, okay, maybe I am interested in this? Did you learn from her or did you go to school? How did that come about? No, I, I mean, I, it's hard not to learn from somebody. You know, she was very good. But she had her very, her specific style, which is completely not my style. But I, I can't really remember her too many times, like literally, hey, Mike, here's how this is done. Here's step one, two, three. You know, I was around a lot of her teaching other people. So I'm sure you learned from that. You know, there's a man called Roland Winbeckler. And when I was a little kid, I was fascinated by books that he had. And he was kind of like the grandfather of cake sculpture and, and everything that's going on now. But, you know, I, I had a hot rod shop, had what I thought was a happy life, <laughs> um, building cars for people and, and just kind of doing my own thing. And she had her bakery and was just having a harder time doing stuff. You know, I'm, I'm bigger and I got more upper body strength. So it turns out I'm good at rolling out sheets of fondant. And so I would come up on Thursdays, Fridays and help her do that. You know, and then I'd cover her cakes and then she'd do all of the decorating. And that went on for a couple of years. People never knew I was a part of it. No, you know, it wasn't documented or nobody ever talked about it. Nobody ever knew. But it got to where I was doing more and more. And one weekend, she was going to, I, I think it was called the National Wedding Cake Competition. Um, it was in uh, Oklahoma City, of all places. On a whim, for some reason, I entered a cake in that contest. Um, it was a hot rod car with a little cake on top of it and all that stuff. And I made it on Friday night. We drove down on Saturday morning and I won best of division, um, won the class, best of division and, and uh, all, you know, a couple other things. And it ended up in a magazine. Um, and after that, it just kind of went downhill. Right out of the gate, you were already winning awards. Literally, yep. first cake entered. I didn't. Well, that's got to be good I for your self-esteem. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, I, I don't know. I, I've never been, I, I don't care too much about, you know, having to win. I just like to make sure whatever I do, and this may, I, I don't know how that sounds, but the, whatever I do, I like it to be, you know, my best version. I like to feel like I, you know, accomplished more than, than what most people would. Um, you know, if I get a cake or a house or a car or whatever that I'm building, um, you know, I tend to search the internet for really cool ones like it and then just try to make sure mine's a little bit better, <laughs> you know, if that matters. So I guess I'm pretty competitive, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun that way. So you really are basically self-taught in a lot of ways. I mean, you learned from watching your mom here and there and things like that, but you didn't go to a professional school or anything like that to learn this trade. No, I mean, that's part of the name of my business, actually, you know, Black Sheep Custom Cakes. When I first started, and, and see, again, people didn't realize that I worked with my mom for so long. You know, she never told anybody, and I sure never did either back in the day. But people would, you know, old school people in the cake industry would, oh, you know, he's brand new. He doesn't know the techniques. He doesn't, da, 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 da. And, and, you know, technique is great, you know, but sometimes technique isn't everything. And sometimes you create your own technique. And so that went on for so long that I got kind of tired of hearing it. I was teaching classes and had people, you know, behind your back. So I just kind of named the, the shop Black Sheep. And, uh, you know, it kind of embraced that whole idea that, yeah, this may not be your way. And this may not be the right way, but this is the way that I do it. And if you want to learn how I do it, this is, you know, I've never been afraid to show somebody how exactly how I do something or or anything like that. There's nothing I do that I think is so weird or out of the ordinary that I don't want somebody to know it. But it's it's fun to kind of have that niche, to kind of have that background. And, you know, it allows me to do things that, you know, I don't have to care about if it's right, you know, if it's the correct way or if it's the normal way of doing things. I just do it because it's fun. Well, I find it incredibly interesting because you're only my third guest that I've had on. And there's a theme already with all three of you. None yeah. of you are professionally taught, per se. Yeah. You've learned everything by trial and error, just figuring yeah. out yourself, using the internet, yeah. using YouTube, things like that to get the answers you need. I'm beginning to think that that's the definition of success right there, is just kind of having that, that hunger, that interest in something to go after it. Has that continued to build in you? Have you ever gotten tired of it? Oh, I mean, there's, there's definitely been times that I've been tired of maybe not really the stuff that I do, but the, some of the stuff that comes along with it. You know, there is a bit of, I, I don't know what you call it, drama, a bit of judgment from people within our industry. You know, there's so many people trying to be the next big thing, and I'm not trying to be the next big anything. I'm just trying to make a living and do something good. But I do think there's something to be said, you know, a, a, a person who is successful is to me a person who dreams up something big and just keeps trying to do it. You know, you just keep trying to do the next big thing. You just try to outdo yourself and to keep believing in that dream. And here lately, that's been kind of difficult with everything going on because it hit at the exact worst time that I do believe that wholeheartedly. Well, you kind of hit on something that I did want to ask you about because you have been on several shows and in competitions where you are judged. How do you mm -hmm. handle that criticism? Oh, I always say the same thing. I mean, I've done now, I think I'm up to almost 20 different TV episodes at this point. 
And I always say the same thing because you have no idea who's going to judge you. Most of the judges, honestly, on Food Network TV shows or TV shows can't even do what I do, but yet they're there judging you and criticizing you and, and that kind of thing. So I, I really don't much take any of that to heart. Um, maybe I should. Um, I do the best job I can in the time that I have. I try to just make sure I represent myself. And, and then at that point, win or lose, you, you really can't control that, especially in TV stuff. So much more factors into that. But yeah, I think if you are true to yourself and you do what you do really well, then, you know, it's nice to bring home the money afterwards. But, uh, you know, you don't really lose if you do that. Have you always been that way? You just have always seemed like someone who is super happy and positive. And we've talked before about you being on competitions and just trying to let loose and have a good time and be present in the moment and not take the competition as seriously. Is that something you've had your entire life or is that something you've gained as you've matured? I, I think I've gained that a lot as I've matured. I think I've always been to a degree that way, but the more you go through, and I think maybe the more times you fail, because um, I've had a few pretty big fail. You know, I, when I first started the TV stuff, I was undefeated in everything. And, and I, I don't know if that got to my head or if I, you know, it was just I was used to being that. You know, I was used to showing up, doing a really good job and going home with some money. And, you know, I've been on kind of the opposite uh, swing of that now. And uh, the last couple I thought I've done my absolute best work, had zero doubt we had won and not walked away with, it, with the prize. You know, so you, you definitely learn um, the last few TV shows I've done and, and the last few events for that matter. You know, the idea is to go do something that you're proud of, do something that you feel like was positive, make sure that whatever happens, you know, because it's a TV show you know, or it's an event or it's a, you know, whatever it happens to be. If you do enjoy it and you realize that, you know, you may never do this again, you know, and it's, it's true. I may never do another TV show. You know, I may never do another big, huge game. If you go there and you realize that and you just try to have fun with it and just try to, you know, do a good job, then, you know, you, you win <laughs> again. That's, that's awesome. Well, that's a good segue to start talking about the shows and how you became a part of those. Were you recruited and casted or did you actively pursue um, going after being on these shows? Yeah, I, I've never really pursued trying to be on any show. Um, they've always contacted me and I realize now that they contact me when they need somebody to do something a little bit different. I think a lot of times if somebody quits a show because they are having a hard time with an episode or with a theme they will call me that's why I've done like a mother nature episode you know or a, in a series where they have monster truck episode they don't cast me they cast me for beachwear so you know the very obvious thing that I'm really good at that's not what they're casting for they want me to bring my kind of out of my my style which is different um and bring that to a off topic theme but um yeah they after that first cake show that I entered in Oklahoma PLC called me and said, hey, you know, will you apply for the show? And, and we did. And I think I did my son's second birthday cake. And he's 13 now. So that tells you how long ago that was. But I, I believe it was his second birthday cake. And uh, of course, they cast me and I went on to win the only person to win three episodes 
of that show. What kind of pressure was that like for you at the time? Were you that lighthearted person or was it very competitive and, oh my gosh, I'm going to be on national television and I've got to get this right? Was there that kind of pressure or were you able to enjoy it? I, I, I think the first episode, you go there and you have no idea what it is. You know, and I'm not a big prepper. I'm not a big preparer, do a lot of stuff in advance. So I don't practice a cake. I don't do a technique or do it first because I find anyway the first time I do something I like it more than the next time anyway. But the first time I, I, I tell you I barely even remember it at this point. It went so fast, and, and I remember you know jumping through a lot of hoops for producers. Oh, Mike, we need you to do this or or say that, and, and you do because you think you're supposed to. You know you think you're required. And you know second episode was much more fun. I had already won one. And when we got there, everybody knew it. And so everybody was a little intimidated and it felt kind of good to, to be in that position that, okay, yeah, I've been here and done this. But, you know, as it goes on, you start realizing that, man, you know, um, a lot of producers are out there to produce a character and they don't really care about what you do or how well you do it or who you really are. They need this and they're going to push it to get that. And my third episode that I did on Ultimate Cakeoff, they pushed that to the limit and they got what I consider kind of some ugly TV out of it. And they were happy about that. But you learn a lot from that. You know, you realize that, hey, Mike, say this. And you can say, nope, I, I don't think I'll say that. You know, I don't feel that way. I don't want to say that. You know, I'm not going to talk about a competitor. I'm not going to talk about a family member. I'm not going to talk about whatever you want. Um, I'll do something else for you, but I won't do that. And, and they can't throw you out. You know, they, they got to kind of get what they get. Um, and they haven't stopped asking me back. So it apparently still works. Well, I think most people, most reasonable, reasonable people know that reality TV isn't reality, that most of it is scripted to some extent. So that didn't deter you at all. You just learned to basically stand up for yourself and say, no, I'm not going to play along with that game. I'm going to be genuine and be myself you didn't have any, you know, pushback or anything with that. You just said, this is who I'm going to be. Yeah, there, there is a very large degree of, of fake everything in reality TV. You know, they have production meetings in the morning of a TV competition show, like where we're going to make cakes, and they talk about the storyline before it ever happens. You know, how do you talk about a storyline that hasn't happened yet? But they do every morning before they shoot. And that's because they know what they want and they know what they need to film and they know what, what drama they want to create. But there is a large degree, if on the other side of it, from my side, I'm the guy creating everything they want to see. You know, you have to really realize, and if I had one piece of advice for anybody going on any of these competition shows, is realize that after that competition show, it's still just you. It's still just your, your life isn't going to change forever. You're still going to be that person, but you could act like an ass on TV, and now everybody thinks you're an ass. Mm -hmm. Now, instead, you might be the nicest person ever, but you did what they asked you to do, and now, you know, you, so you have to be proud of what you do. You have to be true to yourself or, or just don't do it. Well, it's like all those producers are puppeteers behind the scene, you know, trying to get you to act or, or do something a certain way. And so yeah. I'm actually happy to hear that uh, those participants have the opportunity to kind of stand up and say no, because, of course, we could talk about reality TV all day long. You can see the drama that's created that wasn't there. It, it wasn't there, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you were able to work through all that. <laughs> <laughs> 
what was your favorite memory of being on any of these shows? Was it like the first time you won in that elation or was there something that happened since? No, I mean, there, as far as the TV shows go, the, the, believe it or not, the most fun we ever had was the Christmas show that we just did last year or that just aired last year anyway. Um, that production company was great. They were fun. The event was, it, it was real. I mean, they didn't stop us. They didn't pigeonhole us. They didn't do anything to manipulate anything or to give somebody a benefit or somebody else that, you know, they didn't do that. Um, I felt like everything was fair and upfront and it was just fun. The comp competitors, I, we literally had that discussion. You know, a few of them were new and I told them the same thing. It's like, whatever you do, have fun. If you're having fun, then they can't show you not having fun. And if this is something you love to do and you have fun doing, that's what you want to portray when you're on TV. You know, and, and that, I think, worked. I mean, I, I think it came off that way. But that was literally, you know, one of the last shows I did. And uh, there's actually been another show that aired since then. That was the most fun I've had on TV. So how long have you been doing this officially now? I'm going to say about... 11 years, 12 years. Okay. And do you think they keep asking you back because of your consistency? They know they can count on you to produce something amazing? I, I think they ask me back because um, I, I don't look like your normal cake guy. I mean, there's, there's different cake people that they cast now. They cast the person with the blue hair and the big lugs in their ear. And, and a lot of times that person isn't great, but they cast them because of the way they look. And there's a lot of people that play into that on purpose because they want to be on there so bad, they'll, they'll do that. You know, I'm a dad, an older guy. I'm a, a little portly and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not overly attractive or anything unusual about me, but I can talk and I can make a really cool cake, you know, while I do it. Uh, yeah, your talent and, speaks for itself. It really yeah, does. Yeah, I mean, it's nice that that, you know, I'm lucky that that happens, that I can, you know, pretty much pull it out of my butt and make something good. Um, I'm lucky I can do that. What was the first cake you were asked to do for a celebrity? Oh, my. Because you've done a lot. I've done a lot. <laughs> I, I had done a couple for, actually, I, I think maybe the first big one anyway, a, a friend of mine had somebody ask about a cake. And she couldn't do it, so she referred him to me, and it turned out to be Derek Johnson of the Chiefs. And um, his wife was the one who was ordering it. And, uh, you know, I called my friend up and said, hey, uh, did you know that was Derek Johnson that was trying to get a cake from you? No, oh, I didn't know. And, and so she kind of regretted that, but, you know, she still couldn't do the cake, so I did it. But, you know, since then, man, I've had experiences with so many really cool people that, you just never expect any of them. Well, that's how you and I met, obviously. Uh, my day job is I work for an arena. Um, and so you've done cakes for Hailstorm and Godsmack and Tech Nine. Um, and it's always so much fun. I never get tired of watching the expression on their faces when they see your creation for the first time because it's nothing they could ever expect. It's something so cool, you know. So, how do you come up with your design ideas? Oh, I, you know, I, I get asked how I come up with designs all the time, and I, I really don't even have an answer for that. I, I look at the internet, I look at and research the person, I look at rock concerts and stuff, I look at the artwork that they use to promote the concert. You know, I, I always 
it, you know, it, it's a scary thing to create something for somebody like that. You know, you, you have no idea. And you hear things about different musicians and, uh, you know, he's, he's not easy to be around. And the crazy thing is, is I've never de delivered a cake to anybody like that that wasn't just absolutely floored and so nice about it. You know, that, that's the neat thing about what I get to do. I, I can remember, this is kind of not related to your, your question, but years ago after I did a couple TV shows, I lived in Clinton, Missouri, little town with my kids. We went to McDonald's for breakfast one morning. And there was four, like, hardcore, real cowboys sitting at a table having breakfast. Cowboy boots, the hats, dirty. They were out hauling uh, cattle that morning and stopped in to get breakfast. And I came in, and I'm sitting down with my kids, and the one guy says, hey, you're that cake guy. You know, it, and I'm like, yeah. He's like, man, that stuff's great. And the other guy's like, oh, yeah, my wife is watching you, you know, because they're from Clinton, and they knew I was on. It was kind of a big deal that, you know, small-town kid. You know, but to sit there with these guys that have real jobs, you know, what you would consider real men, you know, that are out hauling cattle and, you know, they work every day for a living, to be excited about what I do is, is pretty cool. And that's the same experience I get when I do these cakes for, you know, like you said, Hailstorm, Godsmack, all that stuff. You know, I, I remember the experience with Godsmack. He was not in the best of mood that day, I heard. He sure was when he saw the cake. You know, he wanted to stop and look at it. He kept touching and looking, and you know, his entire mood changed. And it was because it was genuine excitement. It was genuine, real appreciation and excitement. And he wanted to ship it home. He loved it so much. He wanted to take it with him. Yep, you gotta love that. So you recently made a cake for someone very famous for their 40th birthday. Uh, can you share with everybody who that was and where you got to go to make this cake? I, I've done a couple really cool birthday cakes here lately, but Albert Pujols turned 40, and I, I did his wife's 40th birthday cake uh, three or four years ago. She's a few years older than he is. I got the call to do the cake, and she says there's a slight problem with and I'm thinking, so what? Whatever this problem is. She says, well, it's not in the United States. I'm like, rock on. Okay, great. Where is it? She says, well, it's in Cabo, St. Louis. You know, so I'm just thinking, heck yeah, man. Big party. I'm ready to go. And, and I had no idea the experience that that cake would be. But probably the coolest thing I've ever done with my work. And it was a giant pinata, right? Yeah, I ended up, they, they wanted a pinata a donkey pinata, and it had some kind of significance to me. I don't know for sure what, but, you know, which to me is kind of a boring idea. It's, it's hard for me to be real creative with that because it has to be kind of boxy and kind of simple. So it was a matter of scale, making it large. Up in the difficulty, we actually hung it from the ceiling, um, but it ended up being about six foot tall. Um, I'm guessing 250, 300 pounds. And uh, it hung from the ceiling and swung on cables, you know. Yeah, I saw the video and I saw pictures of it. I'll share the video on oh, social media for everybody to see. But it was very impressive. Uh, you mentioned some other cool cakes you've done recently. What else are you proud of? Well, I mean, one of the other really cool ones, because I don't think there's a lot of people that get to cook for this particular guy, but I did Gordon Ramsay's birthday cake. It was kind of part of his, you know, opening because he was going to be in town and they wanted to give him a cake and, and that kind of stuff. But they specifically requested me do it. 
you know, in whichever city it was going to be in, and it just happened to end up being in Kansas City. They wanted me to do it. So that was ridiculous. And that experience was the same way. You know, Gordon Ramsay is known for being kind of a hard ass and, and his personality. And I've met him twice now, and neither time has he been to any degree the character that he is on TV. You know, he's always very warm, very friendly, takes his time with everybody. You know, we delivered the cake, and they had this odd little kind of a photo shoot where you could get a picture taken with Gordon. And I got my picture taken with Gordon. Didn't really get to say much to him, but he thanked me for the cake. You know, and I went to sit down and have dinner in his restaurant, which they paid for, which was great. <laughs> About the time I sat down, his manager came over, and she's like, what's wrong with you? She's like, Gordon wasn't done with you yet. So jump up and go running back into the, the little area where he was at. And, I mean, we spent 10 minutes talking. He literally, and I don't know why this is such an honor for me, but he didn't like the light that the cake was in. They were going to take pictures of him with it. So he picked up my five-foot-tall cake himself, picked it up, and, like, put it on a different table and starts turning it. And, you know, the whole time, I, I, I don't know. I, it was probably the greatest honor, you know, just that he was so secure in his design and in its construction that he – we had no thought about picking it up. Bigger than that, I think it was his respect for you and for what you had created for him. He obviously knows what that feels like. He is a creator and artist himself. So to admire that work and to know that needs to be displayed properly, I mean, that that is an honor, but I think that says more about you, that he wanted mm -hmm. to respect you and the work and time you had put into it. And that was a ridiculously cool cake. You have a way of balancing things. I mean, they're like... There's architecture going on and just you look at your cakes and you wonder how is that possible now I've seen behind the scenes now a couple times how it kind yep. of works but still I know you've had a few instances where it hasn't worked out so well and you've had stuff topple and everything like that are you literally trying as you go like you just have this image in your head you just try to figure out how to engineer it or do you do you like drop blueprints like how do you do it no, I mean, on some things, you have to kind of do a full-scale kind of a plan to get, you know, everything built and in the correct spot. But I, I think so much of it goes back to the fact that I grew up doing, you know, watching cakes done and watching how she stacked them, which she never did anything like that. You know, she never did anything like what I did. But, you know, and then I had a dad in the backyard who was welding frames and building structures for cars and building things to hold bodies and and this kind of stuff of cards. And so, you know, I learned how to do both of those things. You know, I, I'm lucky that I'm very mechanically minded and I can build things and over-engineer them to where they don't fall. You know, the last thing you want is Gordon picks up your cake and the knife falls and whacks him on the head. And now your cake's destroyed and he's worst situation ever. So. Yeah, I have not, I have not attempted to pick up any of your cakes for that reason, as I am scared to death that I'm going to ruin it. Um, and your cakes are not light either. They are extremely heavy. And, you know, to watch you transport a cake and have to get it, you know, to its next stop and then, you know, have to put all the parts and pieces together and everything. It's a lot of work. I don't know if people really appreciate the amount of work that goes into something like that. And then, you know, you have it for an event or whatever, and it's over. And you're just kind of like, oh, you know, here's this beautiful piece of art. And haven't you told me that, if you don't touch it, it'll just crystallize or whatever and stay that some, way. Some of it, yeah. Okay. The fondant turns to like plastic. 
And it, depending on how something's built, I've got things that are a year old, year and a half, two years old that look just like they did. If there's a lot of cake inside and the cake will rot, they'll get gross. But, you know, it just depends on the thing. Yeah, we've watched uh, some of these artists come through, have some fun with the cake. I think it was the hailstorm cake that had the stink <laughs> that they did cut into and they were eating. And so, of course, it looked like a, just a big chopped up mess by the end of the night or whatever. But, you know, th they were so appreciative of it. And I mean, they took tons of pictures with it and put it out on social media and everything. So do you get a lot of requests from just the general public to do cakes? Or do you concentrate just more on special commission type pieces? I, I, I do both. I try to stick with the other stuff because it's really hard to justify to people just how much it costs me to make a cake. You know, I mean, those the cakes like you're talking about, I can end up with a couple hundred bucks just in structure and stuff that I'm never going to see again. So, you know, you're just throwing that money away. Um, so you got to recoup that in the payment of the cake, hopefully. And, uh, you know, you, it gets hard to justify that. You know, it, I, I don't really have trouble doing that very often, but I prefer the bigger events where I can just kind of really do my thing and not worry about it. If you start trying to work within a budget, then all of a sudden you're trying to cut corners on cost and trying to make sure you make enough money and make money for your time. And I, I did a calculation one time for a groom's cake that I did for somebody. And I think I ended up making about 80 cents an hour or something like that doing it. So I decided that wasn't really that much fun when you do that. But then you don't do small projects either. Um, hopefully most people who are listening to this knows what Arrowhead Stadium is where the Kansas City Chiefs play. And you made one of the biggest cakes I've ever seen in my life. It was a complete replica of the stadium displayed at the stadium how much work and how much time went into that um, well that was that's an interesting story actually because that cake ended up being six foot by seven foot the first one i've done it twice now the other one i did very slightly larger um just because i didn't want to go smaller so we went like six and a half foot by seven and a half foot so we went a half a foot each direction but the scale on something you know chief stadium everybody thinks it's really tall but when you reduce it down to something small, it's really, really short. So you have to go really big to get some height, and then you actually have to blow up its height a little bit. But anyhow, that's all kind of a weird, you know, rendering kind of a thing. But they had originally, that was for Monday Night Football, when the Chiefs renovated the stadium. So it was the new stadium, they were calling it. And they had talked to the Ace of Cakes guy, and he was going to charge them a ridiculous amount of money. And I didn't know any of it. And then another ridiculous amount of money for him to come down and be with it when it was delivered. And, of course, he doesn't really make any of those cakes as people do, and then he just goes along and takes credit. Well, they called me, I think it was the Monday before Monday Night Football, and said, hey, we don't, you know, we had a cake plan, and it fell through, and we really want to do it, and we want it to be big. I'm like, well, how big? And originally they said two foot by three foot, so not very big. And then it grew. They decided, well, we want to serve it to fans, so we want to serve 5,000 people. I'm like, okay, well, that's got to be quite a bit bigger. So we settled on six foot by seven foot because that's the, the way it scaled out. Get there and find out that, you know, he was going to make all this money. And, of course, I didn't. 
they they kind of we worked out a trade with the Chiefs to do the cake, and they kind of fell through on their end of that deal. But um, I ended up basically spending my own money to do that cake. But it was still so much fun. You know, I sat in a suite with Billy Ray Cyrus and watched the game, who happens to be one of the coolest dudes ever. Super nice, super fun guy. He kept making me um, vodka Red Bulls, even though I didn't want them. He kept making them anyway um, and, and giving them to me. You know, it was just an experience like that that I took. I actually started that cake on Friday and delivered it on Monday. So, And I did it completely by myself. Were you working 24 hours a day to do that? I mean, we've talked about your other, you know, cakes before, and, you know, some of them you can work through pretty quickly, but this one was massive. Like, I will make sure I put up pictures of it because it's one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. It's like you're looking at that going, that can't be cake. There's no way, and it's all cake. It's amazing. Yeah, it had scoreboards that functioned, had little LED displays and video screens in them and all that stuff. But yeah, no, they, they wanted to be able to serve it, and it has to be fresh, which means I have to bake it like Wednesday, Thursday, cool them overnight, start decorating Friday, and then by the time Monday comes, it's I mean, it's going to have to get served. I don't have a refrigerator big enough for a cake like that. So, you know, you have to just crack and get it done, um, and that's, that's what I did. Somehow, I had to rent two vehicles to do it because it was – basically six foot by three and a half foot sections the stadium is two halves and then the field was a third piece so the field was a big sheet cake and then like a clamshell the stadium closed around it but oddly enough I called them on Sunday and said hey this cake is six foot by seven foot and it has to be on a level surface or everything's not going to line up I said I just dawned on me what kind of table are you guys going to because in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, they're going to have some card tables out there. We're going to stick eight or ten of them together. And they're like, oh, well, how high do you want it to be? I was like, oh, about 24 inches. I said, that'd be, or maybe 30 inches. And uh, she says, how big is it? I said, it's six foot by seven foot. And she says, oh, okay, yeah, I'll call the carpenters and have them throw something. She said, throw something together. Get there, and there is the most beautiful, exactly six foot by seven foot oak like kitchen cabinet looking thing with recessed panels and routed corners and finished and clear coated, perfectly tabletop level, unbelievable. Had little feet that they adjusted it to where it would sit level when, wherever they put it. And, you know, that's the kind of resources that the Chiefs have, but to, to be able to just to display my cake, it was pretty, pretty cool, pretty impressive. They spared no expense. Except for me. <laughs> well... <laughs> Yeah, there's that. There's that. And the other thing I just kind of want people to know, and correct me if I'm wrong, because we've talked about this before, but I'm assuming it, you don't have, you're not working in a commercial kitchen. You're doing most of this out of your house. Is that correct? These days, yeah. I At the time I did that, I had a full-blown commercial okay. kitchen. Now, most of this stuff I do doesn't happen here in Kansas City, so I end up traveling to wherever it is that I'm doing it. You know, the Albert Pujols cake, I did that in a, in a ballroom of the hotel, you know, the week before, you know, uh, leading up to the event. Um, I think I had three days, four days to put that together from start to finish. But um, yeah, so I, I mean, I've done cakes in medieval castles before. I've done cakes in the jungle before. You know, I actually did a cake in a convent once. Oh um, I've done them on yachts. I've done them in casinos. I mean, on card tables, on casino floors. I mean, all kinds of goofy stuff. So yeah, I, having a full-blown kitchen is just something I can't, you know, don't need, honestly. 
what's the most challenging place you've had to make a cake? Most challenging place. Well, you did say like the jungle and stuff, so I'm just trying to envision what that would actually look like. I, I do some work for a couple different casino companies, and that's where I do like, and they had me do a cake for Audi USA, the car company, and I did that on the back of a yacht. Gosh, that's been forever ago, but we did another one kind of live on a pier but it was so humid and they had everything almost frozen. So you bring cold stuff out into a really humid environment and you know how your drink does when it's cold, it just, you know, soaks the table and that's what everything did. But that was probably the most challenging with just trying to make something look good. But I had, the challenge was that if I did their Audi R8, which is a really kick-ass car that I would love to, to drive, they said, if you do one live, I had, I think, 30 minutes to create one from scratch in front of this big crowd of people at this party. And so they say, if you can do it, then we'll let you drive the Audi R8. Done. <laughs> you know? So I uh, threw the cake together. It was not my best work, but it was an Audi R8. And I got to drive their Audi R8 GT all the way up to about 18 miles per hour because it was so crowded there. But I still got to drive it. So that was fun. I just saw a little kid, Mike come out just get all super excited <laughs> well i can't not bring up your world record yeah you hold a world record for the fastest edible cake fastest please edible tell me about food. that how did well, that come to be years several years ago i think it's been about five now six years ago we did gosh it's probably been longer than that unfortunately but we did um actually i think it's 2013 now that i think about it we did, for charity, a big cake event here in Kansas City um, that we were actually, before all this COVID stuff started, talking about doing again. But we did a charity cake event, and part of it was we teamed with some of the people that I know, hot rod guys and that kind of stuff. And uh, we built a car that had to be 80% edible and had to go a certain miles per hour over a certain period, of, you know, a certain distance of a course. And sure enough, we sent a Guinness world record for, it's actually a land speed record for edible beer. And I don't That's think insane. anybody's ever before. Yeah, it's in, the, it's in the book and everything for that year. Oh my gosh. Now, did you actually eat it afterwards? <laughs> that was one of the requirements that Guinness had was that not only did it have to be so much edible, go over a certain period of time, but it also had to be eaten. You, you wow. couldn't just make it and not have it edible. They had to have it cut up and served. So we sure as heck did, yeah. Now, is there another world record, or is that the only one? Um, well, I'm a part of three now. Oh, wow. Uh, and they're all for dumb, you know, they're for fun. They're not meant to be serious, and neither was the car. It was goofy, and it was fun. And it raised a bunch of money, and, and we had a good time. But I was part of another charity event where they had the most people smashing cakes into faces simultaneously. We set that record as well. Um, that sounds amazing. We, yeah, it was fun. It, like I said, it's just dumb. Um, and then there was another goofy one, but uh, I can't even hardly remember what that was for. It was something similar to that. What has been your favorite project of your entire career to date? And my favorite project to date still has to be the Albert Pujols cake. It's, it's a close second to, to Gordon's, but Gordon's cake was you know, it was easy for me to do. It was just the experience of meeting him and hanging out and, eating, you know, having him, he literally cooked everything he cooked for us, um, uh, my, my buddy and I. And, uh, you know, that was pretty awesome. But the Albert Pujols cake, you know, I, I had never, I didn't know anything about Albert. 
Um, I didn't know anything about his wife, but in the time that I spent in Mexico doing the cake for them and experiencing just the quality of life that they live, and I'm not talking about the money that they spent because they spent a lot of money on this party, but that the people that they are, the family, how important that is to them, you know, just the quality of effort they put into their life. That I think changed me, to be honest. You know, sat in one of the most amazing resorts, did a fun cake, you know, did my best to make it really cool. And I personalized it with saddlebags and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, you take a break and you open the door and you walk out on a patio out by this ballroom and a whale comes up out of the water and breathes, you know, and I mean, just unbelievable. You just uh, stop and go, is this my life? This is my life. <laughs> yeah. And I'm being paid to be there. You know, that's the amazing part. And, and yeah, it was work and I worked a lot, but you know, I also walked down to the beach and had one of the nice guys run over, oh, would you like to snorkel? And he'd bring you snorkeling gear and you'd jump in the water. And literally the day I did that, there was no one on the beach. You know, there was no one in the water with me. You know, I sat out there for an hour and a half floating around playing with the fish and it, it, but to be able to do stuff like that and to be paid to do stuff like that. But, but like I said, the thing that just moved me the most was the party, you know, the, the way when they revealed that there was a party going on, cause he had no idea. It was a surprise birthday party until this huge balloon wall blew up and he saw all of his friends and family there. He didn't know what was going on. You know, he thought they were having dinner, you know, to see the way he lit up a room, the way he hugged every human being in that party. You know, he, he, it was amazing. You know, the party was incredible. The quality of the production of it, the company that put it together, unbelievable. You know, they turned a mountain that's at the resort, and it's a genuine mountain. They, they turned it into a volcano and a huge spider crawled up it with lasers, and that, you've never seen anything like it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'll ever see anything quite to that level again. That's incredible. And you mentioned, you mentioned that it changed you. And you and I have had several discussions about leaving a mark on this yep. world and yep. doing more positive things, trying to put out more positivity into the world. That's where this whole idea for the podcast came up. You and I talked about this months ago because yep. um, you and I had very similar ideas about what we wanted to do. Where are yep. you at right now in your process? Oh, I mean, you know, we've, we've definitely stumbled a little thanks to COVID, but still working on some fun things, still working on some really positive things. Um, you know, one of the things that we've actually got in the works right now is, is kind of a bake sale-y kind of an idea um, where we take the stuff that I do and we go and we help someone else by doing it. You know, there's so many people like, like Albert, for instance, you know, the stuff that they do you know, his wife has a foundation. They have a foundation for disabled children. Plus also like a, she does a lot to help empower people in like very um, impoverished areas of the world. And it's all around the world. There's a huge problem with like sex trafficking and stuff in these countries because there's nothing else for these people to do. They have no money. They have no career choices. They have no training of any sort. So she goes in and creates things so that these people can get an education and learn a trade and then not become something else. But, you know, to be a part of that and to see what they do, you know, it, it definitely pushes you to use your skills and your talents for something other than going out and doing a stupid TV show for Halloween. 
you know, so hey, those kind of, TV shows are still entertaining and still fun. Don't take that away from us. Don't take it away from <laughs> us. And I have a blast doing them. I, I really do have fun. You know, I wouldn't do them if I didn't have fun. But it, but in the scheme of things, it is just a TV show about how we mean or about whatever. And, and nobody's life has changed because of it. But, you know, I, I've done cakes for a group called Icing Smiles. I think I've done 11 or 12 cakes for them now. And they do, it, it's a totally non-for-profit, totally volunteer-run group. And they do cakes for terminally ill kids, kids with major illnesses, and even siblings of kids that are, you know, because oftentimes when a child's in, you know, serious condition, the siblings suffer too. They don't get birthdays. They don't get all the other stuff. So we come in and we create something ridiculous over the top for them. You know, I've had the honor of doing a bunch of those. But, you know, it's stuff like that that makes you feel like what you do is worthwhile. And didn't you do a cake for a child? Wasn't somewhat recently, I, I think, that... Yeah, that... I, I did one. Actually, that one was last fall. A little boy was in hospice care, and he actually passed away the, on the, his birthday, the day that we delivered the cake. You know, but the, the great part about that was that cake gave those people something really positive that day. It was a party. They were so happy. It was all positive. The boy was was happy. You know, everything was really good. You know, just to add that little tiny bit of positivity to that day. Well, that's the memory that they're left with. Instead of him passing away, he was given, you you helped give him a gift, you yeah. know, that, you know, he had a great day. His family had a great day. Um, I love that you do stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, you, you figure four or five hours of my time and a little few dollars here and there, and you get to experience something like that. Yeah, that, that's the kind of stuff we want to keep doing. You know, the events and stuff that I do, those are the things that allow us to go out and do the other things. You know, you have to keep the power on and all that good stuff. But um, yeah, the stuff that you really feel good about and the things that are really fun is, is that. Well, what advice would you give young people as well as adults who maybe never got to realize their dream of doing what you do, what advice would you give both sets of people, young people and adults just potentially starting out? I, I, I think I'm living proof too that you it's never too late to try again. Um, you know, there's, I, I never intended to do this for a living, but it turns out I was pretty good at it. And for a while there, I got out of it. I mean, there was three or four years I barely did anything. You know, decided, had a real job, I guess, if you will, you know, a day job and working for somebody else. And, you know, I had worked for myself my whole life. It took kind of an off situation for me to realize that, man, I'm not happy doing this. I would rather go do what I want to do. And, and there's some real genuine terror involved in doing something like that you know it, it's very scary it, it is not sure and it's not a dead set thing there is no guarantee of anything you know and that was the same way with the day job that I had you know I had something happen at work that they sold off part of our company and I went and worked for somebody else and found out I was really genuinely miserable doing it it, it was one of those face your fear step out and do what you want to do and you know, even with all this goofy stuff that's going on, I'm getting by, you know, I'm figuring out how to continue doing what we want to do, but you really got to set a goal and, and try to stick to it. 
design. Well, I think that's, you know, I, I think that was the last time we had lunch. I think that was like the day after you quit your job and you I, told I, me that yeah. you were like, I just, I, I just quit. I just, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And you walked away and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. You know, there isn't as, you know, a solid plan, but I'm going to figure it out. And that's what you've done. I mean, that again was quite a few months ago and look at what you've accomplished so far. That's amazing. So that leads me into the segment that I call Find Your Montrospective. For those who have listened, they know uh, this is about situations that we allow outside events to affect our mood. Whether it's we're driving down the highway and get cut off and we were in a great mood and then we're mad and we're mad for the next six hours and you know we don't even remember why we're mad. So I'm going to give you a scenario and your task <laughs> is to come up with two positives from it. When I thought about the scenario, it's ironic that the last thing we talked about was you quitting your job because here's your scenario. <laughs> you feel stuck in a job that isn't fulfilling. You don't particularly enjoy your coworkers and you have conflicts with your boss. Find your Montrospective. Oh boy, that's an easy one for me. <laughs> I think the most important thing in a situation like that, and I mean, and I understand, and like I said, you have to pay your bills and, and there's things you have to do, you know, and we all have that in mind. But I don't think most people realize and I didn't until that morning, like you and I talked about, you know, that you always have an option and there's always things out there that you can, you know, I, I hear my kids will do that. And I, I work in BMX and I hear kids, Oh, I can't take this part or I can't do this jump or, or whatever. And, and, you know, you can do a lot of things. You can't jump it. Great. Go try to ride it a little faster. And guess what? You'll get faster. Guess what? Try the shorter jump. You can learn to do that shorter jump. Once you learn the shorter jump, the big one's not going to be as scary. And, and that particular day that, um, you know, my boss called me and I was in my truck going to a customer's shop and, you know, he said the wrong words that day. You know, he, he just said words that just, I, I felt exactly like you just explained. And it took those, actually it was one more, you know, I guess he said team synergy is the words. And that's corporate speak for bullshit, in my opinion. And, and I had my turn signal on as he said the words team synergy. And I was getting ready, literally 10 feet, and I would have turned into this parking lot. And he said team synergy, and my turn signal came off, and I kept going straight. And I, and I literally told him, I was like, you know what, I'm heading east right now. The shop is east. I'll be there in about 10 minutes, and uh, I'll, I'll drop off my stuff. And nice knowing you. And he, of course, tried to convince me not to do that. You know, it was very scary. But at the same time, I, I went to that office and I shook hands with the people that, like you said, I had trouble with. And, and I felt, I, I don't even know how to describe the feeling. I had the hardest time not just breaking down and crying. It's hard for me to talk about now for some reason because I'm a pansy. But, um, you know, I, I, it wasn't that I was sad. It wasn't anything like that. It was just so freeing to be able to, to realize that, you know what, I don't have to keep doing this. There is something else. And whether I succeed at what I want to do, I can still go on and do something else. I have other skills. I have other talents. You can always find something else. Always. And that's exactly 
how you looked and felt to me that day when we sat down and you told me I just quit my job. You felt like and looked like a weight had been lifted off of you. And yes, there was, like you said, there was that fear of the unknown, all of those things there, but you looked genuinely happy. Like there was no stress from that, at least portion of your life anymore. And you were excited about the future. And we brainstormed a ton of ideas that day. Now look at you, you're doing all sorts of stuff. So we both are. So it worked out well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got one more question before we end today. What is your personal mantra that you say to yourself to keep yourself going? Oh, I, I think it's, it's always the same thing and it's so easy to forget it and to let other things influence you. And that was part of your last question. You know, it's so easy to get sidetracked. But, you know, I just try, I, I know who I am and I'm the only person that does really. You know, you have situations that make you act like a person that you don't want to be. Um, you know, you get mad about something. You get stressed out about something. You get short because you're stressed out or you don't have the money you need or whatever your situation is. You know, just trying to remember who you are and staying true to that person. I mean, I know that's the oldest, you know, one in the book, I guess. It goes back to Shakespeare and everything else. But, but it is true. You know, you have to be true to who you are, you know, especially in, in life in general everything. Well, that is a perfect way to end our conversation. Mike, thank you for talking with me today. Yeah, you are a true inspiration and I certainly can't <laughs> wait to see what you do next. Yep. To check out Mike's work, head to any of the Montrospective social media pages and Montrospective.com. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you again soon. Remember, your thoughts become your reality. You have all you need to begin to make your dreams come true. Dream it, believe it, manifest it. Have a great week and I'll talk to you again soon.